Our first uh, scripture reading is from uh, John's Gospel, the 19th chapter. In fact, both of the scripture readings today will be from John chapter 19. I'm going to split them up. So first I'll be reading to you uh, verses 1 through 7. This is not the Christmas story. This is towards the end of John's Gospel. This is just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. John chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the son of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second uh, scripture reading, as I said, is going to be a continuation from uh, John chapter 19. I'm skipping on down a little bit and reading verses 16 through 25. John chapter 19, excuse me, verses 16 through 25. says, then he, and that means Pontius Pilate, handed him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. And carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Loving God, we pray that these words, which may seem unusual for us to be sharing on this Sunday before Christmas, might still jump off the page and into our lives, filling us with the light and life and love of Jesus Christ, as we ask in his holy name. Amen. 
Life uh, holds certain mysteries that make us all ask the question, why? Why is it that you can tell someone that there are 400 billion stars in the sky and they will believe you, but that same person, when they see a wet paint sign on a park bench, just have to touch it? Why? Why is it that we trust banks with our money, but they don't trust us with their pens? Why? Why is the word abbreviation so doggone long? Why? If Jimmy cracks corn and no one cares, why is there a song about him? Why is it that you can't get your kids to ever sit still when you want to take their picture, but you can't get them to move when you switch to the video? Why? I love the stories told about some kids who went to a police station on a field trip, and they were fascinated by the most wanted uh, posters of criminals that were pinned up on the bulletin board. And one little boy asked, are those the real pictures of wanted people? And the police officer said, yes, and our detectives really want to catch them. Well, the little boy was puzzled. He said, well, why didn't you just arrest them when you took their picture? (laughs) Well, today I have another why for you. Why in the world are we talking about brown as a color for Christmas? If you've been here, you know, over these previous three weeks of Advent, we've Talked about the color gold, and then red, and then green. Oh, sure, today we could have done silver, or blue, or purple, or some other color. So, why brown? Well, brown was the drab color of the shepherd's clothes. Brown was the color of the animals around that uh, nativity of oxen and donkeys and camels. Brown is the color of the manger holding the baby Jesus and a reminder for you and me that that baby came to be with us, to walk with us in all of the brokenness of life and in all that reminds us that, yeah, we, we live in a pretty fallen, messed up world. But perhaps, most importantly, Brown was also the color of the cross with the broken body of Jesus hanging on it. Now, I probably can guess what some of you are thinking. Some of you are probably thinking, oh, come on, John. This is the the Sunday before Christmas. You're going to talk about the cross? What about Mary and Joseph? What about the shepherds and the angels? What about the wise men? What about the the baby born in Bethlehem in the manger? Well, please come back next Friday for Christmas Eve services here at 7 o'clock and 11 o'clock. But what's interesting to me is that the Christian writer H. Richard Niebuhr once wrote this. Very often today, we have a God without wrath who brings people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through a Christ without a cross. And the problem with that brand of religion is that it has absolutely nothing to say to those of us who live in the real world. It has nothing to say to us as a people or as a nation who still tremble with fear over a COVID Omicron variant, supply chain issues, rising gas prices, corporate greed, racist comments, chaos on our streets, 
and the dysfunction within our families. And all of these things are the reason that Jesus came. And out of his love for us, the brokenness of our sins, the brokenness of our lives, that's why Jesus died on a brown wooden cross. In that baby in Bethlehem, we see God stripped of his omnipotence, of his omniscience, of his majesty, and his authority. At Calvary, we see God stripped of every one of his divine attributes except one. Unconditional love. You know, Christmas is a season in which we get to act like children. And so this morning, for a couple of minutes, I want you to come as a child. And I want you to put your feet in the muddy footprints of Jesus as he walks the tear-stained path to the cross. Allow me, for the time we have, to tell you a simple and shocking story of just how deeply you are loved. Somewhere in a cell deep beneath the imperial palace, the smell of perspiration hangs heavy in the air. Down the hall, if you listen carefully, you can hear the staccato crunch, 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 crunch sound of soldiers' boots. There's this heavy metal latch that clangs as it's lifted from its groove. And then the light casts upon three prisoners as the prison door is opened. In the flickering torchlight, you can see the figure of a man being stripped of his clothing and pushed up against a smooth marble column about eight feet high. With business-like precision, the soldier in charge pulls out a scary-looking brown rawhide strap. On one end of it, he ties the prisoner's hands. On the other end, he puts the strap to a brass ring at the top of that marble column. And as he pulls down, the arms of the prisoner are lifted up over his head. He then secures the end of that rawhide strap. At the same time, another long leather strap appears in the hands of a burly, well-built soldier who places himself directly behind the prisoner. He raises his massive arm and he brings that lash down across the exposed back of the prisoner. The bits of bone and metal at the end of that rawhide strap cut into the prisoner's skin on his back. And that prisoner emits a moan as that soldier goes through with each stroke. Five times, 10 times, 15 times, 20 times. Both the flogger and the floggy want this thing to be over quickly. But the law has to be satisfied. 25 times, 30 times, 35 times, 36, 37, 38, 39. The Roman legal limit. That rawhide strap is mercifully cut loose and the prisoner collapses in a heap on the stone floor. A few minutes later, there's a splash of cold water that revives the prisoner as he's then forced into the barracks and there he provides an evening of crude entertainment for a group of bored soldiers. The soldiers take this man's claim of royalty to be the theme for their party. And so they dress the prisoner up in a purple robe 
They take a strand of thorns and they wickedly twist them into a makeshift crown. A soldier with wine-soaked breath grins as he presses that crown into the head of the prisoner. They act as if this man is nothing, when in reality he has all the power of heaven and earth at his fingertips. They finally stop after either too drunk or too tired to continue. After a sleepless night, that prisoner is placed at the center of the formation of four Roman soldiers. And around the neck of the prisoner hangs a sign which says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. They take a wooden cross and they place it on the shoulders of the prisoner. He walks a bit, but then he stumbles forward down into the dirt. As you might imagine, the previous night has taken its toll on him. His legs feel like jelly. Without skipping a beat, the Romans tap on the shoulder a young man from the north of Africa whose name is Simon of Cyrene. They take the cross and they place it on his shoulders, and Simon of Cyrene carries the cross through the streets of Jerusalem. About noontime, they arrive at the breezy summit of Golgotha. And for the last time, the prisoner has his clothes taken away from him. There's one soldier there who shakes his head in disbelief because of the way this silent prisoner so willingly receives his cross. These are rough and tough, grizzled, veteran Roman soldiers who do this kind of thing for a living. While prisoners may be crying out in pain and agony, these Soldiers sit at the feet of their crosses, playing games and rolling dice. But nothing has prepared them for this man. Because even after they have nailed his hands and feet to the cross, and they've dropped that cross in a hole, they hear him audibly praying for them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That was enough to keep one of those soldiers awake at night, tossing and turning and unable to sleep. And at one point, one of them even points up and says, this man, this man was a righteous man. The sun goes behind the thickest clouds anyone had ever seen, so that at noontime, it became as if it was midnight. The people there have no idea that this is the darkest moment in all of history. Between noon and three, when he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Friends, God did not send his son into the world wrapped in a Superman's cape or escorted by angelic bodyguards. God God sent his son as a lamb to the slaughter. And then, on the brink of death, the prisoner shouts one final word. It's the word, Tetelestai! In ancient Greek, it was the cry of the Olympic runner as he crossed the finish line. Tetelestai! It is finished. It's a cry of triumph and joy. A person who has won a great victory. And in this case, a great victory for you and me. 
Friends, I have no idea why God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And I don't know how it is that that brown cross sets me free inside and puts me right with God. But I do know one thing. God loves each and every one of us with an enduring, unshakable, unending love. Whatever the issues going on in your life, mistakes you've made, guilt that imprisons you, skeletons that you dare not have come tumbling out of your closet, all of it, I do mean all of it, has been forever wrapped in the sweeping embrace of God's love on the cross of Golgotha. Before we ever named his name, before we ever got a Christmas gift, before we joined a church, before we even knew him, before we even cared. And if you're someone who walks out of here today and you still could care less, just know this. Christ's suffering and triumph was no less for you. Jesus Christ loves you through and through from the very top of your head to the very tips of your toes. He's been called the the slowest cross-country runner in America. A young man who is still running long after everyone else has finished. Uh, Ben Coleman was a senior at Hannah High School in Anderson, South Carolina. And for years, Ben ran on the cross-country team despite the fact that he would come in dead last in every race that he ran. Now, it's not that Ben didn't give it his best shot. Not that he didn't try hard or work hard. You see, Ben Coleman was born with cerebral palsy. And so while the other runners are smoothly gliding along the earthy terrain, Ben hobbled along, trying to drag that stubborn left leg forward and then pivoting to bring the other leg forward, trying to do it step by step. Unfortunately, the tiniest things could could trip Ben up. It might be a small rock or an errant twig or a crack in the pavement. Any of those things could cause Ben to come crashing down on the ground where it would be a mighty struggle for him to be able to get up on his feet again. Ben's coach said, I've been coaching cross country for 31 years and I've never met anyone with the drive that Ben has. I don't think there's an inch of that kid I haven't had to bandage up. (laughs) And yet Ben Coleman does it all without any complaints, without any self-pity, without any fanfare. In his spare time, Ben also builds wheelchair ramps for Easter seals. He works with Habitat for Humanity, and he spends nights at assisted living facilities. In an article about Ben Komen, former Sports Illustrated columnist Rick Riley wrote this. Why do they come? Why do they hang around to watch the slowest high school cross-country runner in America? Why do they want to see a kid finish the 3.1 miles in 51 minutes when the winner did it in 16? Why do they cry? Why do they nearly break their wrists applauding a kid who falls flat on his face almost every race? Why do they hug a teenager who could be beaten by any other kid running backwards? Why do they do it? Why do all of his teammates go back out on the course and run the last 10 minutes of every race with him? 
Why do the other teams do it too? And the girls team. Why run all the way back out there to pace a kid running like a tortoise with bunions? Why? Because Ben Coleman never quits. And friends, God would not quit either. No matter how long the race, no matter how tough the fight, Jesus Christ was determined to go the distance for us, even if it meant a brown wooden cross. And only when his mission was finished and our salvation was assured would he bow his head and give up his spirit. And the joy of victory and the, and the peace of knowing that he had done all they had come to do and all they had come to do was enough. In fact, it was more than enough. The brown cross is the completion of God's plan of salvation. The brown cross is the accomplishment of an eternal goal. The brown cross is the victorious declaration of Jesus Christ. To tell us die, it is finished. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we are amazed at the depth of your love and find it so hard to express with words our gratitude to you. But Jesus, we give you thanks that you did it. You finished that for which you had been sent, being faithful in life and faithful in death. You accomplished that which no other person could ever do, taking the sins of the world upon your sinless shoulders and taking our sins so that we might receive your forgiveness and new life in you. All praise be to you, gracious Lord, for finishing the work of salvation. All praise be to you, dear Jesus, for saving, yes, saving even me. To the glory of Jesus Christ, we do pray all these things. Amen.